All right, listeners, it's Adrian Bow, and we're back with the Adrian Bow podcast, episode 85, and delighted today to introduce to you Mr. Matt Lancashire. Matt, how are you doing? Adrian, I'm great. How are you? Excellent. For those of you who are living under a rock, Matt is a superstar um, with the Ray White Group and principal of New Farm in particular, but some other offices there, which we'll have a chat about. Um, mate, really appreciate you taking the time to, to, to join us today. Pleasure, mate. No worries at all. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So as when I initially reached out with all my listeners, you know, I sort of tend to target people um, that have got a real altruistic approach to the industry and an abundance mentality. And, and as I'm sitting here in... Uh, one of your good mates office, David Walker in the wow. Upper North Shore. Just had a coffee with him. And, and you guys, are, you guys are, 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 are wrestling between number one spot, I believe, in the network. Oh, there's a few. There's a few. It's, it's um, for, for Australia. Yes, absolutely. So Dave's, Dave's a superstar. Like he's, um, he's an amazing um, real estate agent and an even better bloke. So it's, um, yeah. look, we, we are all competitive. If we weren't competitive, probably wouldn't be good at our, our chosen field. So, but no, he's, um, he's amazing. I did a training session for his team uh, only on Monday. So he told me, he told me that, yeah, I did obviously did a podcast with him and I was in the area. So I had a quick coffee and I said, mate, I'm, uh, I need to, I need your boardroom to make a few calls and do a podcast. And uh, I said, it's with Matt. And he said, oh shit, Matt just did a session the other day. So um, yeah, it's interesting. So do you think like the, the Ray White group, um, part of its part of its success um, is this camaraderie slash compet- healthy competition. Oh, absolutely. I think um, look, Ray White is a group. It, it doesn't matter what group you're from. If you're a good per- person and you're doing, um, you know, great in this industry, you know, a lot of the people that I talk to, we all share information. We all talk. It doesn't matter what group you're in, but. But yes, Ray White, there is a really good camaraderie. There's a, it's very competitive. So they've just released this new digital board thing, which is, it's called Pulse. Mm. And it sorts out absolutely everyone. So if someone says, oh, I write $4 billion a year in, in real estate, you can see where they're actually ranked in the GCI to the day as to where they are. So it's super competitive. Um, everyone goes on there. Everyone knows exactly to the dot where everyone else is in their figures. Um, so there's no hiding and um, look that's I, I love that sort of mentality it's something that we do within our group as well uh, we're a performance-based industry so it's um, you know if you're competitive and you like to you know to, to test it then that is one thing that is is really great because you can test it also Ray White do chairman elite conferences and elite conferences so they get the top tier of our group to go to a conference away our last one was in Byron Bay just last month and it's not just the content that they do and the dinners and all of those things. One of the valuable things that I find is I go and sit down with all the individuals. So I sat down with Gavin uh, Rubenstein, obviously. Uh, we shared ideas, what we're doing. Sat down with Evan, sat down with uh, uh, Dave. We had breakfast one morning and just really got down to the nitty gritty. Not like a like if you go to a group training or you go to an ARIC, for me personally, I, I go there just to tick boxes and to make sure is there any little thing that I can implement into my business? And sitting down at these elite conferences, you can actually have breakfast and go through the points. And I've, I've made it my mission on that conference to go and pick out all the people I wanted to learn from. Um, so that was, a, that was a real big advantage for me. But 
look, across real estate, I don't, it doesn't matter what group you're from. Like, if you're a good, good human and a good operator, it's always good to become, be friendly with people. So. Mm. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And it's it's a very unique industry in that sense, Matt, isn't it? Where everyone's quite transparent and open. In fact, quite 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 to an amazing level, how how transparent their their IP is. Um, you know, and and whether it's whether it's just the nature of the business, or or whether you know some people just don't implement it, uh, or whether it just it's a selfless and altruistic act. On behalf of the uh, of the person providing the information, uh, it's quite unique in in, to, in in comparison to other industries, isn't it? It is, but you know the, the interesting thing is Tom Panos sent me a message the other day, and he said, "Oh, you told me this," and he put it on Instagram, and it was um, low offers blame the market, no offers blame the agent. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "You told me this a few years ago," and I said, "Tom, I ripped that off someone else." So you know, like it all goes around. So it's it's it's. Um, Sharing is huge and paying forward as well, I think, is, is really um, important as well in this gig. And for me personally, and I don't know if this resonates with you at all, but real estate has such a bad name across, like, as an industry. Mm. And for me, I really struggle with that because, you know, as soon as I go to an open home, most people that don't know me, they have a, a preconceived thought of what I would be without actually meeting me and they talk about me without knowing me. And so my one thing is that I want to try and change some perspective on real estate as a, as a group, one transaction at a time. And so that's what we try to do for our group as well is we want to be proud of every transaction. Plus, we also want to change that tarnish name that real estate agents have into being a great name through experiences. Um, so I think that's really important. And sharing information and training for other groups and doing these things is my little way of giving back to the industry um, you know, selfishly, so I, I can get fulfilment from that. Mm. Yeah, it's it's true. It's funny. I was having this exact same conversation with John McGrath breakfast a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we were talking about content. You know, in terms of coaching content, and and all of us, you know, whether it's me, you, Tom Panos, Josh Fegan, John, it, it, there's different nuances. But it's not like the message has revolutionised in the last decade. Um, there's only a handful of things you need to master in order to be outstanding in this industry. I mean, if you, if you can, you know, be disciplined around your prospecting, if you can have best practice uh, listing process, if, you've, if you can market a property outstandingly well and you're very good with follow-up and you're transparent and talk pragmatically to people, I mean, sure, there's other, other parts to it, but it's not like you're, you know, you're a neurosurgeon where you've got to master 300 different, um, you know, practices, or if you're a barrister, there's, you know, 700 pieces of legislation you've got to recite. And you nailed it. Exactly what you just said is the blueprint of real estate. Exactly what you said. Mm. But the problem is, for me personally, and I know that there's a lot of people that that talk about this, but the one thing and the one drive for me, I love the word mastery. I know John did this this program a few years ago, you should definitely do it again. He hand-selected a number of agents around the country. I'm not sure if you knew about it. That yeah, of and course. He sent me this. Of course, yeah. And, it's, and it, it, R- like Rupert Murdoch my... was there, remember, when Rupert Murdoch spoke? Yeah. 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 Outstanding. And, uh, and on mastery, and it's, it's like, you know what, like real estate is seen as this easy way to come in, 
and nice suits, go for coffee, work your own hours, you know, make a couple of calls, drive nice cars, and um, and not do very much. And it's it's actually the biggest misconception because if you look at it, you look at the top operators in, in any industry, whether it's real estate or anything else, there's only the small minority of people that actually do well. And then there's a whole majority of people that are just making it by or just getting by. So, you know what, like for me personally, I think the word serious is a, is a really underrated word. Um, and for me, serious means like you come out of the, you know, the REIQ in Queensland and, you know, the first question I'll ask a new person that comes to me and they'll say, I'll, I'll ask them what, hey, how can you fill out this agency agreement? And half of them can't fill it out. Like, so we're getting licenses to sell someone's biggest asset. We could actually be impact their entire future, uh, financial future, and they get it in a week. Like, mm. I don't know. I just, I just, I, that's one thing that I don't, I don't agree with it. But mm. for me personally, anyone that works within our business, we make sure that they're serious about what they're doing and serious about the results they're achieving for people. And I just think it's just, I don't know, the industry's got to change a little bit. It's, mm. um, it's a little bit frustrating. Yeah, I think we're getting that way. There's some new legislation that, that's already happened and it's going to continue to happen. And, you know, I know even, you know, two, two out of my four associates have got university degrees. I've got a master's degree. So I'm with you. I think that, I think that, that tertiary education probably needs to play a bigger role in the industry uh, or at least some sort of um, more extended period of study in any case. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. And that stigma, that stigma, Maddie, needs to change, right? And I think we're moving the needle, but it's ever so slow. Um, yeah. and, and even Pete Matthews and I had a good chat and, you know, he's, he's going to be the president, of, he's current president-elect of REI New South Wales. And I know that he's committed to that as well once, once he gets um, inaugurated later in the year. Um, Maddie, uh, Bit, a bit about you personally, like you've got an interesting background. You, 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 you're a tradie, a sparky in particular, and then sort of fell into real estate like most of us, right? Um, how, how many years ago is that now? No, oh, look, I, I finished school in 1998. So it's, um, for some reason, I kept thinking I was, um, 30, I was 34 for about 10 years, I reckon. Like it's, I turned 40 last week um, and it's my 15th year in real estate this year. So it's... Um, Time's just absolutely flown. So 15 years, who would have thought? But um, so yeah, I, I finished school in '98. I wasn't exactly the most studious um, student, and um, come from quite a, a um, uh, intelligent family. My father's a surgeon, my brother's a surgeon, my sister's a teacher, uh, and I don't know what happened to me. Something happened around childbirth where maybe I was dropped or something. I don't know, but. Uh, I wasn't given um, the luxury of having uh, a brain that could absorb information, like to become a doctor or anything like that. And look, I, I used to have a bit of a, uh, I, I've got emotional intelligence. My mum's very clever. She's very um, street smart. Uh, and I was very fortunate to inherit that gene from her. Um, and um, look, school just wasn't for me. Um, I, I, I ended up getting an OP16, which in Queensland, it goes from one to 25, 25 being the worst, uh, one being the best, and um, 16 is something, it's not, not very, not great. Um, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, I, I find that when you're, when you're coming through school system and having young people trying to navigate their future 
through school of what they want to do for the rest of their life, I find it really difficult. And I had no idea. Like my brother wanted to be a surgeon when he was young, following dad's footsteps. I had zero idea. And um, so my parents pushed me into doing an apprenticeship. Um, and it was really, um, look, I look back on that now and I hated every second of it because I just wasn't in love with it. I, I wasn't passionate about it. I, it didn't do anything for me. And um, I finished it, got my ticket. Um, but the, one of the things that I, I did have through that whole apprenticeship, I had this one light bulb moment where I was sitting in a lunchroom where this um, – this uh, gentleman was sitting there and he would have been in his mid to late 60s and um, he'd been working in this company for about 40 years and he said something which changed the whole landscape of my thinking and he said, Matt, I've got, uh, I see he looked really upset actually and I said, mate, what's wrong? And he goes, oh, I've just had this unforeseen bill come in. I was meant to take my family camping in Yamba, like camping in Yamba, right? And he's 68, 65 years old. And he goes, I've had this unforeseen bill come in and I can't go camping anymore. And I was like, wow, like that's, that's not me. No way. I, don't, I do not want to be that person. And it made me start to think about all the things that, you know, financial freedom, all of these things. And I thought life's too short. Imagine doing something you didn't love just because that was what you, you, were, you were told to do. And um, I ended up traveling overseas and long story cut short, I sold a house and I had an experience of uh, negotiating the sale of my house from being overseas because I had no money and um, ended up coming back and asked the real estate agent for all the phone numbers of the buyers that had been through because she couldn't sell it and ended up getting three offers. And I was like, wow, that um, seemed pretty interesting. Then forgot about it, went overseas and came back and uh, my now uh, business partner and uh, Hazley Cush, um, offered me a job. He just bought Ray White New Farm, this business that was broken, uh, had four salespeople, about 450 square metres of space. So uh, good for social distancing these days. But it was, um, <laughs> but anyway, he, um, he said he was desperate for staff. And he said, Matt, I want to give you a go. And I think you'd be a great salesperson. It was a good pitch, actually, at the time. No real estate experience. And um, came in, sat in the office, and he goes, here's your phone, here's your desk, good luck. And that was what it was at that point of time. This is back in 2006. And, um, and the first 12 months, Adrian, I shit you not, was like the hardest 12 months of my life. So there was no legislation around debit credits and all of those things. Like, so there was no, you know, there was no uh, minimum wages or that. So I was com only, no real estate experience. And I made $9,000 in my first year. So... And um, it was a bit of a slow burn for me. Um, interestingly enough, I managed to double my business every year, second year, 18 grand, and then like 30 grand in my third year. And um, it got to a point where I was like, what do I need to do? Like, seriously, like, and look, I'll, I'll be honest, like, I was the guy who came into real estate thinking you could wear nice suits, go to cafes and, you know, hang out with your mates and, and run your own sort of time. Um, you know, if you felt like going to the beach, you go to the beach, all of those sorts of things. And it got to a point where um, I sold my house, I went overseas, I spent all my money. For the first time, I moved out when I was 18 years old. I had to move in with my parents at 25. And the one thing that they didn't know is I built up by doing nothing, no work for three years and making nine grand, 18 grand, 30 grand in my first three years. Um, I built up $50,000 in credit card debt. And um, <laughs> I don't know about you, but when you've got 50 grand in credit card debt, it's pretty hard. It's pretty 
hard to see the end of it. And, you know, you actually go into a little bit of a fluster trying to cut corners and chase deals and do all these things just to try and get yourself out of the mess that you're in. And it got to a point where I, I sat down with Hazley and I said, look, I might have to go back and sell real estate, uh, go back and become a sparky. It's just not working for me. And um, it got to a point where I thought, bugger this, I've, I've got to actually go and get serious about this and go back to that word serious. And interestingly enough, I don't know if this guy would remember, but I, I asked, this is going back in 2010, and I asked this person down in Sydney um, for half an hour of their time. And it was James Dack. You remember James? Hey, we worked together for, for, for decades, yeah. And before I got to meet him, and I think he had Ben Collier as a, as a PA, maybe correct, at the time. Correct, yeah. Or an associate. Correct. And, um, and I, 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 I honestly changed the whole landscape of my thinking. And I remember going to this meeting, and before I picked up a copy of the Wentworth Courier. And in the Wentworth Courier, there was about 15 pages of this James Dack in there. Mm-hmm. And I had this meeting, and it was literally 15 minutes. And I said, what do I need to do? And he said, you need to become the biggest uh, 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 advocate of print. You need to be own the paper. You need to do options and you need to work really, really hard and outwork all your competition. And so I flew back to Brisbane. I borrowed $1,000 off my parents. I went into like $56,000 debt <laughs> to buy a new suit and a plane ticket. So I went down there, saw a few other people, flew back to Brisbane. And Hazley's like, okay, what did you learn? Tell everyone what's the what's the magic, what's the secret? Mm. And I said, big ads, option, and work hard. And he's <laughs> like, Are you kidding me? He's like, that's the whole ethos of our business, Ray White for 120 years and mm. all those. And but it's 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 not about the, the actual what that what you've been told, it's about how you absorb it and light bulb moments, you know, like just as likely as we could have this conversation in this podcast right now someone's principal might be telling someone that's listening to it that every single day that they might it might resonate in the, in the, in a lightning and a light bulb moment might happen and they go oh i might just go and do this mm. and i became obsessed about it like literally became mm. obsessed so my number one goal was to come back and be the number one career mail advertiser for news call then i wanted to pitch only options and then i worked my ass off i was in the office Till 11 o'clock at night, I was the first in the office. There was this guy, Adam Baster at the time, that sat in the opposite corner to me. And I, he used to sit in there at 8 o'clock, make his last calls, and I'd make 10 calls after he'd left just so I knew that I was getting like doing more. And that first year where I committed to that, so it was went from 30 grand to $400,000. In the fifth year, it went to $880,000. Then went to the sixth year, went to a million dollars, and then it's just compounded and compounded and compounded. And I go back to that word serious, right? So to give you an idea, for my 30th birthday party, which was 10 years ago, I rocked up two hours late to my own party because I was negotiating a deal. And at the time, all of my friends were really pissed off at me. And I had my 40th party only about, my 40th birthday party last week. And one of my friends go, remember when you rocked up late to your 30th birthday party? And I was like, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. He goes, now I see why. And it was like, you just get this seriousness and I'm like obsession about it. And um, I burnt a lot of girlfriends. Um, you know, I was, girls would come and go because it was like, you know, oh, 
oh, when are you coming home? Or what are you going to do? And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm on this path. And no one actually could understand, and except for myself. And, you know, I built this system, this system-based thing where I just, the, the, I, and like you said, the blueprint of what it is, I worked out all the basic fundamentals, all the system, and the outcome just kept going up and up and up and up and up. And I still do that today. And I've simplified my business to eight key focuses, and that's it. And what are that? What are those eight key focuses? So, first and foremost, number one, well, this isn't one of the focuses, but this is what I do with my own time, right? My own time is so I focus on the system, not the outcome. So, for example, I told you before I'm running a marathon. So, if I said to you, "Hey, Adrian, what do you think my goal is?" and you might say, "Oh, my, your goal is to finish this amount of time." That's a stretch outcome or a stretch goal for me. But what my actual goal is, I know that I've got to do the long runs, do the fight leg training, do the um, do the sprint work, do the hills, get my nutrition right, sleep for eight hours a night, drink a lot of water, do all these things. So my goals are actually doing ticking boxes along the way and doing the long run on the Sunday, ticking the boxes along the way because I know that if I hit every one of those goals with minimum distraction, I'll be running the time whatever I want, if not better. So my goal for this year was to write 3 million in GCI for here and because I've followed the system so well, we're going to do four and a half. So it's like, it's not the, you know, the, the goal is just a goal. It's about doing the systems in between to, to reach an outcome. And the more you're structured and the more you work on the system and the more you can allow yourself to do, the outcome's going to change and it's going to get better, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so my whole thing is, of, uh, all I want to do is I'm an, I'm an attraction business model. Um, I only do dollar productive activities. So that's, um, vendor communication, pipeline work. So I'd only deal with my, my pipeline from people that are going to sell in the next, from now till six months. Everything else is dealt with with my, uh, with my team. I only do hot buyer work. So if a buyer rings me, they don't go to me, they go to my associate. If they're hot, they then come back to me. So I only want to deal with clients, only want to deal with hot buyers, and I only want to deal with my sellers. So that's the main thing that I run. And I also do a lot of my anniversary calls and all of those things, just the relationship building, my important, my, my important client calls. Um, but on my eight key focuses, so print is number one. That's my, that's my number one focus. My KPI is to have five to 10 pages a week in the career mail. That's number one. I only pitch full and double page ads and I do a quarterly profile ad. That's, that's my focus number one. Focus number two is social media. So... I run my strategy principle, which is all about brand content. So everything that I post is lifestyle and health. 10% is education and on the team. 10% is community and leadership. Uh, 20% is family and 40% is listings. So that's how I break it down through my social media. And every single listing that I list, we have a $5,000 marketing budget for all of our um, for all of our campaigns, which is through Facebook, Instagram, and um, and LinkedIn. Um, number three is Magic 50s. They're my number one. You know, everyone's got their 10 by 10, 20, whatever they call them, but mine are Magic 50s, which is mail outs on letterbox drops, just listed calls, just sold calls, auction invite calls. That is a huge part of my business. So we do a lot of things to try and get more eyeballs to our property. So we call all the neighbours, all of those things, and to try and generate... Uh, as many people to our open homes as possible. My key focus number four is open homes, running world-class opens, 
Um, I make sure our presentation is absolutely unbelievable. So from the sign. So if I'm on a street which doesn't have high visible presence, we do pointer signs from main roads all the way to our property. So if you're trying to find our property, you go by, you see pointers all the way up the road to our flags up. That's a non-negotiable. Um, our presentation, how we look, suit, tie, hair looking good, smelling good, no, no bad breath, mints, always looking sharp. The presentation inside from waters to all of the information on the property. So brochures, everything, the way you're greeted at the front door is, is super crucial to me. And it's something I'm obsessed about because I want to present someone's asset the way that I would want my, my own home presented, right? So and that's how serious I take it. And what that then does is it will, any buyer that comes through, one, they're going to feel more comfortable. They're going to look at the, the property in the best light, which will in turn make them probably pay more money. Um, and two, if there's a if there's a seller coming interviewing us, they'll be like, wow, that was the slickest operation I've seen. That's how I want, I want that to sell my house. So it's all a combination of all of those things. Um, what we also do as well is with the open homes on, on that as well, the follow-up process that we run after is crucial as well. So we call everyone back on a Saturday afternoon. So we do not leave the office until the last call is done on a Saturday. Um, we send them a, a detailed canned response, which is, is personalised to them. Then we follow them up with a phone call. And then if we miss them on the Saturday, they get a call at 12 o'clock on Monday and then a text in the afternoon. Then we try them again on the Tuesday. And then every week we do a 10-day follow-up process. So these buyers are getting continually followed up. If you're a seller that's looking to sell and you're getting followed up at the rate that we're following up, um, they're going to be like, well, geez, I want them to sell my house because the rate of their follow-up is amazing. And also buyers. I've had buyers lately that they say no the first time. You call them the second time. They go, oh, actually, we looked around. We couldn't find what we wanted. And, yeah, we might, ring, we might come back to that one. And we're doing deals on people that say no the first time. So we don't just let them go when they say no the first time. Um, and we do all of our open for inspection lists. We continue, like, calling through old inspection lists. So if we list a new property... We will call, like, so if I sold a property six months ago and there was 100 people that came through, every new property that I list, I go through and go through those lists again. Hey, we've just got this property that we've listed on Kentucky. You should come through. It's open at this time. So it's consistently not relying on marketing to bring us buyers. It's, it's pure brute work to bring people to our properties. So if it, so, we're not just relying on realestate.com, domain.com, and print, obviously. Um, Number five is the database and pipeline communication. So I only look after my pipeline, which is zero to six months. My communication plan with them is weekly and fortnightly. So in my pipeline, I'll only have approximately 30 properties in there, which I can keep talking to. Any more than 30, it's probably too many. And I've got to really ask the question, are 30 people going to sell within that period of time? Um, I'm not a volume agent. I'll only sell 50 properties a year. I don't sell over 100 properties or 200 properties like Josh Tesla and all those guys. So their pipeline will probably be a lot stronger um, than what mine is. Um, and then the database, I've consolidated down to 1,500 people uh, and my sales associate will look after that and they must be contacted every three months. Okay? Number six is buyer work. So hot buyer lists. So I have a buyer list of all hot buyers and I've categorised them from two to three million, three to four million, five to six million, and then five million plus. And we can go in. So if we list a new property or someone calls us in and they say, can you get some buyers once we sign the agency agreement? 
we'll have four or five buyers running through their property before it's actually at the first open home or the first inspection. Um, so we're really full on with our buyer work. We also do the 10 day follow-up call. So what I've noticed and what a consistent trend is with most real estate agencies, they'll get a lot of buyers that will go through their open home. They'll call them and say, are you interested in the home? The buyer will say no, then they get shelved and they never get spoken to again. Um, what we do is the 10 day follow-up and we continue to keep calling them. So we follow up, hey, just want to let you know, I know you said no last time, but just supposing you do this, 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 you should come back through. If they say no again, okay, well, what are you looking for? And then we continue to keep working them because buyers just get forgotten about. Like it's crazy. I can't believe it. And particularly at the moment, like buyers are only wanting to tick six out of 10 of the boxes, not nine out of 10, because there's no yeah. stop around. For them. So, so they're, they're making decisions. So we make sure that we are 100% all over our buyers. Um, number seven is personal marketing. So between our EDMs, I send out an EDM of just listed for every property, it just sold for every property, and I do a a Friday market update, which is every property uh, that I've got. And I do some commentary every Friday about what's happened for the week. Generally, my commentary is based around trends that I'm seeing. Like, for example, in Queensland at the moment, I specialise in high-end property. One in two deals. So 50% of my deals are being done to interstate or overseas. Um, so I write a lot about that and where the buyers are coming from, Melbourne migration, overseas, expats coming home early with COVID, all of those things. Um, and if I'm in a negotiation with someone and I want to write a message to them subliminally, I'll write it in there. So, so you know, some properties have seen some really good interest this week. You know, Mayfield Street, we've had six buyers that have all put contracts on the property and it looks like it'll be tied up pretty quickly. That's subliminal messaging to them as well. So any of those buyers that are reading that, they're like, all oh, right, we got to go. So let's, let's get going. So it's all calculated stuff. Um, then I do end of month and end of quarter personal marketing, which is a, a letterbox drop to every home in my pack. Really high quality, all the sales we've done for the month. So January, they'll get a January update. February, they'll get a February update. March, they'll get the quarterly update. So there's 12 drops every year consistently straight after the month. So outside of all of the letterbox drops and just listed, just sold I do, they still get 5,000 people, still get literature from me 12 times a year. Um, Focus number eight is auctions. So auctions is my number one, like is the, is the thing that we're really focusing on right now. Uh, my KPI for the team is to run four to six auctions every single month. The KPI is to get one offer in the first week, minimum. One offer has to do it. Three offers by the end of the campaign, that is a non-negotiable. And we have a 30-day set-to-sell program. So we make sure that every property is transacting within 30 days and generally, that all comes down to the offers that we generate throughout it. And most of our auctions at the moment, I'd say 60 to 70% of them are selling prior to, rest of them are selling on the day. So we have a really strict process on that 30 days. So Adrian, that was pretty um, punchy, but they're my eight key focuses. That's it. I don't do anything else. Mate, that, that's gold. Anyone listening to this, if they're after a blueprint and they haven't yet come across one or designed one, mate, they've only got to plagiarise that, right? And you, and you, you, you wouldn't mind whatsoever. Mate, I've plagiarised that off someone else anyway. So <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm talking about. Content is just nuanced but delivered differently, right? So, mate, that was brilliant. I, I really appreciate you sharing that because I, I love how succinct and how 
clear and how much passion and energy is put behind it. And you, you can tell that it actually gets done as well. It's not just, it's not a wishy-washy high level plan. It's actually a granular um, um, executed plan. So I love that. Um, mate, you know, obviously you, you had that conversation with James Dack and, and, and people have had conversations with many people or heard a tape or heard a trainer or whatever. And I think what it is, as you know, Matt, is that, you, you may have heard those three things in the past, like dominate print, work your butt off and focus on auctions. The only thing is you may not have been ready to hear it. So I've got a theory that, you know, when, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. So someone listening to this today may, it may not resonate with them, but they'll listen to it in six months and they're ready. So it will resonate with them. So I think, I think that's a big part of it. You talked about your, your EBU, your team or your effective business unit. Could you, could you just detail sort of who, who does what within your team, if you don't mind? Like, obviously I know your role, your, your dollar productive only, like keeping a deal together, high level prospecting, um, listing, selling, right. And, and what, tell me about everyone else. Yeah, so so one of the most underrated roles that, and it was the role that I I thought, God, I don't know if I really want to get this role, was an operations manager. So the first bit of resistance that, including myself and most agents that get to that level, they want dollar producing team members, right? So associates that can do prospecting, associates that can you know, negotiate deals and bring on listings and all of those things. And, you know, I got to a point where I needed to work out outsourcing and doing and, and not doing the things like I'm, I'm pretty OCD with a lot of the activities that we do, but it got to a point where I was proofreading absolutely everything and doing all the getting, looking at all the DLs and looking at all the marketing, which I still do, but not to the level of what um, I was. And so I met with a few people, like I met with, um, you know, AP, uh, Alexander Phillips and Prue Kelly, if you know Prue, she's an absolute gun. Outstanding. Um, and Alex is like a freak. He's just nails it. Um, and then Gavin as well. So, and all of these people, they realise that they need someone to run all of that part of their business. So I've employed uh, Courtney, um, who's amazing. She's a country girl. She's down to work. Clients absolutely love her. Um, and what she does is pure operations for our team. So from when I get the call in um, from, a, from a client, and interestingly, just show up for a tick, interestingly, why this role is so important for me is because we're a, a big um, uh, advocate of print and all of those things, if you look at all of my, and, and, a, and an attraction business, if you look at all of my current clients that I've got on the market at the moment, only 20% of them I had a prior relationship with. So I'm getting call-ins from all these different places through print, through social media, and just off the back of profile. So for me, I've got to work extra hard to make sure that I'm impressing them in a shorter period of time. So this role is so crucial because if I'm negotiating deals, I'm running around doing uh, videos, doing all of these things, like your time is really precious and you've got to allocate it very um, uh, uh, structured because you just run around like chasing your tail everywhere. So this Courtney's coming to my business and she runs photography. She comes to the listing presentation with me and I'll say, this is Courtney. She's going to do all the ad text, the scripting. She'll deal with the copywriters. She'll then liaise with the photographer. She'll come and do the photography. She'll also come when I do the, 
the video, she'll manage the videographers after. She'll get all the marketing to the point. And when you're happy with all of that marketing, she handles back to me. So we work in a thing called lanes and a lot of people talk about lanes. Mm -hmm. I don't go into her lane. She doesn't come into my lane. She's pure marketing and client. She makes our clients happy. Like she is like the happy officer. So she'll make sure that all of our clients feel comfortable with absolutely everything that we're doing. And then it gives me two weeks to do all the other stuff in the background. And then I'm on talking to the client. So her role is like, the most crucial role in my team, like in my business. Uh, and it's it's a role that most agents would not put on because they're not dollar productive. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. And, and I think I think the old coaching, Matt, used to be, yeah, like if you're only putting one person on, make them admin. But lately, lately, you're right, a lot of, a lot of thought has gone around, well, let's leverage technology and let's, let's um, employ dollar productive associates. But I think, it's, I think it's sort of done the full circle. And I think yeah. any business that's got any degree of scale like yours um, definitely needs that operations manager and it's, it's, it's a crucial role. Yep. So that, that was, that, that's huge for me and a, a game changer, but getting that right person as well is crucial. Mm. Um, having someone that your clients are going to be happy to also deal with the biggest um, benefit with her is she's just so down to earth and nice that people, they want to be her friend. And they, if they don't get me, they're not calling the associates, they're calling her, mm. you know, and, and so with the clientele that we deal with, that's really important to me. Um, the second role is I've got an EA to the team, Mariana, and she's, she's amazing too. So she's, um, she's been in our business now for three or four years. Um, and her role is purely marketing. So she'll do everything from DLs, print, internet, loading it all on, making all the changes, contracts, making sure our folders are absolutely perfect and just day-to-day -day running of the team. So she'll print out all the anniversary calls. She'll print out my pipeline, put it on my desk. So there's everything in the business is like, so I'll sit there and I'll be like, my, my, um, my calendar alert will go up and, say, and we'll say, call your database, call your pipeline. And then by that time, the pipeline's sitting in front of me. So all I need to do is pick up the phone. So she eliminates all excuses. So with prospecting, you know that when you first set it at the start, when you set that blueprint, real estate's really simple, right? It's all about prospecting, listing, negotiate, selling, repeating. That's it. Correct. And most people do. And the biggest failure of real estate agents, right? And this is like, this is, I'm pretty sure that this is in industry standard, is that they fail to call people at own property and ask them if they want to sell because they're scared and they don't prioritize their time. They go, Monday comes, yep, I'm going to do 50 prospecting calls today to people at own properties, see if they want to sell. Then they come in, they've had a big weekend, they go, oh, I don't want to do it today. What I'll do is 100 tomorrow. And then they push it to the to the hundred, and then they get overwhelmed because they're doing a hundred on Tuesday, and they're like, oh, I, don't know, I can't do a hundred calls. Then they go to Wednesday, I'm going to do hundred and fifty. I'm going to map out the whole day, just do prospecting. And then Wednesday comes, they're like, bugger this, this week's shit. I'm going to do it all next week, and I'm going to, I'm going to, and then it's it's a vicious cycle, and it's mm -hmm. like people get overwhelmed and they don't have a structured business, like they don't set ideal weeks, and they don't set prospecting times and so and until you set those times and have someone to keep you accountable like for me on the west, i get distracted all the time like i'll be sitting there and i'll just be i'll be sitting there and i'll be like what am i meant to be doing now the thing will come up and go calendar will go prospecting and then all of a sudden all these numbers come in front of me 
I've got no excuses not to call those numbers. You know, and if I'm going in the car to an appointment, I still make calls because I've got the numbers in front of me. Does that make sense? Mm. So yeah, so, so yeah, you haven't allowed technology to work against you, which it can, because I know a lot of agents, especially Ray White agents with, with my desktop, you've got all these tasks that pop up and they, they, they get overwhelmed because these tasks develop over four days, five days, and then they just delete them all, right? So I, I, I love the simplicity of the names just being printed, put in front of you, and you can call them at your desk or in your car or at a cafe. Well, and the interesting thing is, and technology is the, is a bit of a distraction because you know I, I don't like outsourcing calls. I like I like I like constant communication through my team, um, talking to the people that they know and building relationships. Um, but what most people will do is and. I just don't think that you should outsource prospecting. Prospecting is one of those things that it's about a relationship and the cut through. Like I know that if I make one call to a client, that will be like 10 calls from a caller or an associate. So you're saving 10 steps, you know, like just by you calling them and talking to them. And most of the time is, you know, I had, I had a, a really interesting call at Christmas and there's a good, there's a good client of mine who, who I'm quite friendly with the whole family and they're very, very sort of wealthy people. And they invited me to go down to the Magic Millions with them. They had a couple of horses running it. And we're sitting there at the, at the, at the auction table. And this gentleman goes to me, hey, Matt, I just wanted to say thank you so much for getting your PA to call me this year to wish me Merry Christmas. It was, it was really great to hear from your PA to say thank you, uh, Merry Christmas. And I was like, oh, my God, that's actually, I've got to change that. And so now I do all my Christmas calls, you know, like, so it's, um, so back to Mariana's role. The one thing that I love what she does is that there's no, you, you, you can't miss it if it's in front of you. Like most of the people go, oh, I've got to go onto my desktop and then you get distracted. Then you get an offer coming in, then you do these things and then you miss doing all the prospecting. Mm. So if you get the numbers put in front of you, or if you are really serious about making it work, do it all the night before, before you go. Set up all your calls for the next day and set them in your prospecting thing because the number one reason why the best of the best and the rest of the rest is because they fail to do the consistent prospecting activities. Like you look at AP, for example, stands up, doesn't even sit down, knocks out 200 calls in a day and everyone goes, oh, that's bullshit. Yeah, how can someone knock out 200 calls in a day? It's because he's not distracted. He actually just does it and he knows what the outcome is of doing those 100 to 200 calls a day. Um, it's a consistent so means to an end that, that is just uh, ongoing, you know. And then what about your associates, Matt? Yeah, so I've got one associate, Pat. Um, he's awesome. He's been with me for two years. Mm. So Patty is a co-agent um, to me. So effectively what he does is he will do all of the cold and warm stuff. So internet inquiries that come through, social media inquiries that come through, website inquiries, um, any call-ins that come in. I don't divert my phone. I've got two phone numbers, but I don't divert it unless I need to divert it. I'm in a meeting. Um, but what will happen is a call will come through. They'll leave a message. I'll listen to the message. If it's cold, I'll forward it to Pat. He follows it up. Uh, if it's hot and someone that I've been talking to or someone that, you know, is a, a, a seller, potential seller, um, I deal with it straight away. Um, so he is a, effectively an extension of me, which allows me to do the things that I do, all the hot stuff. He also does all of the Magic 50 calls. So as soon as we list a property, he goes around and calls 50 of the neighbours straight away without fail. 
bang, 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 just gets it done. Don't even have to talk to him about it, it just happens. Uh, and then when it sells, he does exactly the same thing. And then sometimes I'll say, hey, Pat, I want to do this person, this person, this person, just because I'll get a little bit more leverage out of it. Um, and he does all of those things. He calls through all the old inspection lists. So everything that we say to a client that we're going to do, having him in the team, uh, we can have it executed and done perfectly. So we're not making empty promises to our clients. Um, um, but we are now looking for another associate um, to do just to alleviate some of the work for Pat because he's going pretty hard. Uh, he also does our vendor reports. Like he'll get all of the, put them all together. Then I speak to the main buyers, put all the information in, the reports go out every Monday. Fantastic. Tell me, um, Matt, you talked about sort of specialising in that higher price point. If anyone's listening to this and that was their objective, um, what recommendation would you give to them without cannibalising their core market? Or does it have to be one or the other or can you do both? Oh, look, I, I have made the decision that I don't sell anything under $2 million. So refer it straight out. So one of the things in, in our business is I do a lot of co-agencies with agents across our group um, and I do a lot of referrals. So, so my GCI so far, if I don't sell another thing for this year, uh, for settle for July, uh, up until June, it'll be four and a half mil. And I've referred out $2.5 million in referrals to our team. Mm. So I made the decision to not sell anything under $2 million because I didn't want on my website to have $400,000 walk-up apartments or a million-dollar house or anything like that. I wanted it to be specialised in high-end. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me personally, I don't know whether there's, there's heaps of different, you know, I don't know, this is just my, my opinion. Sure. Uh, I think if you really want to be a specialist, you need to actually specialise. So you can't dip your tongue in the water here and have, hope to get a bit over here. So and one of the, the, the hardest things for my associate with Pat is he builds these relationships with people over this over a period of time. And then they say, yeah, we want to sell. And I say, refer it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, really? And I'm like, refer it. It's not what we want. It's not our call. Mm-hmm. And um, so we do that. We specialize in price specific. We are not, we are not uh, geographical as much anymore. I've still got a core database of 1,500 people, which I communicate with. Um, but we uh, we sell in a lot of different markets. So I now hold the um, record price for nine suburbs across Brisbane. Um, so we get calling from everywhere. Um, and I think that is purely because I've decided to specialise. Um, and so my average sale price is just over 4.15 at the moment. Um, and that's where we feel really comfortable. Um, so for anyone that wants to do it, you can dip your toe in the water, but I reckon if a client is is interviewing you or researching you, which they will, there's no doubt about it, particularly in the high end, and they go in and they see uh, Matt Lancashire has sold all these properties for this, but then you, they go and look at you and you're, you've sold one or two, but then everything else is all low end. I'm going to have perception, and it's actually reality, is I'm going to have the lion's share of the buyers that are looking at properties and that thing. So the, the, the pitch for me is really simple. Like, well, this is what I sell. This is, what I, this is my bread and butter. This is the properties I've sold. Here's all my records in the nine different suburbs. Have a look at those. Let's go. Um, so for me, I'm really clear on that. Um, do I get beaten? Absolutely. Like I get beaten all the time. Like it's, and you know, I'm not sitting here being arrogant to think that, you know, that I'm going to win every listing because I certainly don't like, and it can come down to someone thinks that they, someone else is going to do a better job than me or, it's not a good fit, you know, maybe our personalities don't fit. 
and or they think I'm a dick. I don't know. Like it's um, I don't win every listing. Um, I get beaten. I get beaten by younger people that have been in newer in the industry, and I learned a valuable lesson only a year ago. Um, I got beaten by someone at, of, by a young person um, who was less experienced, no runs on the board. And it was a client that I knew really well. It would have been a repeat client and they know how I operate. And the feedback that they said was that they felt like the other agent wanted it more. Mm. And uh, you know what? So skill, uh, enthusiasm can beat the shit out of skill and experience nine times out of 10. So mm. I learned that lesson. And now when I go in and a pitch, I will not lose it based on enthusiasm. No, yeah. no question. Oh, there's no doubt, you know, will and skill are, are um, uh, you know, are not mutually exclusive, but will will probably will probably trump skill most of the time. Um, so when you made that decision for that price point, was it just like ripping the bandaid off or did you did you actually get a couple of listings at that point and just said, I just don't want to look back? Um, how, did it, how did the transition occur? Because you didn't always specialise. No, no, I didn't, but... How it happened is I, I ended up getting one listing, right? And it was a, it was a life-changing listing, actually. It was in 2015. So I heard along the grapevine that there was a gentleman in Brisbane. He's a big developer. His name's Don O'Rourke. He's a very good friend, very good client of mine. Um, and I heard he was selling. And I um, his property would have been the Brisbane record at that point in time, $10 million plus. The highest price property I'd sold next to that property when I sold it was $3 million. So I was, it was at Christmas time and I heard it was selling. So funnily enough, I went on to Google. You know this? Have you heard of this thing called Google? Yeah. Awesome. So I typed in Don O'Rourke, Consolidated Properties. Bang. Guess what, guess what popped up in Google? His, his email address. Email and phone number. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, here we go copied his email and I actually spoke about this at Eric, copied his email and I wrote this email, dig on, I don't know you, you don't know me, sorry for um, intruding, I did hear that you were looking to sell, we've got a mutual acquaintances, uh, blah, 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 this, this whole spiel, I'll send it to you. And I've got that email up on my, on my wall next to my computer and it's just a reminder not to let an opportunity pass you by, right? Mm. So I sent that email, bang, sent it off. Then I thought, okay, well, that was good. Literally, about seven minutes later, an email comes back from Don O'Rourke. And I, I didn't even read it. I just saw his name come up and I literally shut my pants. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, what did I just do? And it said, hi, Matt, thanks for reaching out. Yes, we are looking at selling. I'd love you to come into my office. It's Tuesday at this time. We've got 15 minutes. And I was like, oh, my God. And you know how doubt just starts to go into your brain and mm. what did I do that for? Oh, who can I bring in with me just so, you know, so I can try and pitch for it and do all these things. And because of my, you know, a bit of craziness in my, my personality, I decided to go out and I invested in making this listing presentation booklet and it cost me $25,000 to do it. And so I went out, got it all, and I had a week to do it. So I went out, got this advertising agency, got all these things, got all the bits and pieces that you do, got it like literally practiced it with my wife at home, practiced it with my team, how the presentation was going to go and literally had 15 minutes, right? So I walk into his offices, remember it clear as day and walk in 
And I said, hey, Don, how are you? I'm Matt. Nice to meet you. Tonya, who was his uh, EA at the time, and started talking, oh, you know, you're um, you know, a surfer. I love surfing as well. I've done all the reading on you. And he goes, hey, Matt, you've got 15 minutes. <laughs> and so I was like, I pulled out this book, put it on the table, and it was this, like, honestly, at that point in time, the effort, he saw this effort, right, that I went into doing this book. And it was really clear, concise, good information, um, everything that he'd asked for in an email that he sent me structured out the way that he asked me to do it. It's now formed my whole, it's, it's evolved over time now, but it was the, the foundation of, of my entry into that top end space. And 15 minutes went past. He said to Tonya, hey, Tonya, can you push this meeting by 10 minutes? Ten minutes went past. Hey, Tonya, can you just push it again? And Tonya's looking at him going, and he goes, no, no, just push it. And I had an hour with him, right? Mm. At the end of the meeting, he goes, okay, so what's your pitch? What, what, what's your close? And I said, well, I've read your story. And I know what, you're, what you were a young guy once and you were given an opportunity. And now that I've seen what that opportunity and I know who the person who gave you that opportunity and look what you've done with that now. I'm, just, I'm the same as you. I'm as driven as you when you were that age. I'll, I'm just asking you to be that guy for me. I want to sell this house for you and I'll, I'll give everything I've got. And he goes, okay. He goes, well, I promise this listing to another agent, um, but I want to give it to you. But before I do, I need to talk to them first. I'm going to call you tomorrow. I'll call you tomorrow at 9am. And I was like, you know the old don't leave until you get it signed thing. And I said, Don, is there anything I can do right now? He goes, you do know I was Ray White. No, there's nothing you can do. And I was like, okay, no worries. And it was the most excruciating night of my life, waiting for this call in the morning. To his word, 9 a.m. next morning, hey, Matt, we're on. Let's go. Let's meet at the property. So I ended up going in. We did uh, four weeks of open homes, $180,000 marketing campaign, met 447 buyers. But what I did was I went and I sent information memorandums to every property that was over $5 million in all these key areas and invited them to the open home. They saw the level of people that came through. We ended up selling it um, in four weeks for the new Brisbane record at that point in time, $11.8 million. And it was like, and then made all the calls to all the vendors around that and the sellers said, we've sold this, blah, blah, blah. And it went like bananas in the press and everything, new Brisbane record. Uh, and then I just went hard at all of those owners and then it just snowballed from there. And that's when I decided this is like, I can do that. Like I can deal with these people. And, the, and the, the number one thing that that if you were to ask me, what's the number one thing that's ever happened to you in real estate? Like, what's the best thing? The best thing ever was when Don O'Rourke asked me when we had the negotiation. We had an offer of $10.8 million. And he goes, all right, Matt, what should we do? And I was like, like well, he's the guy. He's a $600 million like, developer. Um, and he's asking me, the 20, at that point in time, 33-year-old, kid that's um you know just having a crack at real estate and asked me what we should do and i said to him i'm going to go for more and he goes okay great i think that's what we should do but just bear in mind if you lose this buyer, i'm going to fucking kill you <laughs> <laughs> and we sold it for 11.8 million dollars over and um he to the same uh, buyer same buyer same buyer yeah and he um he is now one of the biggest advocates. He's on all of my, he's, he's, his phone number is my testimonial. So I don't do written testimonials. I do phone number testimonials. My clients 
And so he's one. He's my number one client for people to ring, and he still calls people today. And is my biggest advocate. Refers me in, and just off the back of that one sale, it snowballed into five or six sales, which ended up being about eighty million dollars worth of sales within a three month period. And it just snowballed from there. And then, so it's all about leverage, right? So once you make that sale, and once you do that, if you do nothing with it, you're an idiot. So we leveraged around it. And then I constantly kept talking to this client at Kangaroo Point. Angelo, Sandra, come on. The Brisbane record's been broken. Now's the time to do it. While there's some heat in the market, had five, six meetings with this guy. He finally gave me a go, listed his house like three months later, took it to market, sold that in five weeks. The new Brisbane record, 18.48 million. And then it was just, that was it. And then because, and, and Angelo's like, why should I give it to you? And I said, well, I've sold that Brisbane record for John O'Rourke for $11.8 million and all the market's saying that it was a fluke. I want to prove to the market that I'm not a fluke and then sold it again. And then it was like snowballed from there. And now it's just, you know, if I don't get called into a high-end property in Brisbane, something's wrong, you know, like, I don't know. So, and that's, so that's just the profile piece of it. And that's called specialising in what you do. Life-changing email, that's for sure. Hey, Maddie, um, if we can sort of segue into... Business ownership. Um, so yourself and Hazley, obviously business partners now, running a pretty serious operation with 160 staff, a sales uh, roster of 42 odd odd agents, um, you know, over a thousand managements, and and of and offices now in New Farm, Spring Hill, Balimba, East Brisbane. Um, what do you? What would you advise agents that are thinking to themselves, okay, I've reached a certain point of my career. Is business ownership a means to an end to wealth creation or is it just indulging my ego um, or should I stay on a good split and just list and sell real estate and buy investment properties every year? Like what, because you and I both know, you know, running businesses that business ownership is not for everyone. Right. So, so, so what, what do you say to that agent that gets to that point? What metrics would you use on yourself? Yeah, look, it's a, it's, you just don't know until you're there at that point. And ambition does greet most people at some point of time. And, you know, it, it greeted me and um, look, I'm not here to say to anyone, don't do it, because you know it's it's been amazing for 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 what we wanted to do. But there are agents. So one of the proudest things for a business owner to acknowledge, right, is that their salespeople make more money than them. So a good salesperson should be able to make more money than the principals. hundred percent. I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. I do. I do. Yeah, I've seen it many, many times. Yeah. And um, and for us, it's like. The one thing for me is I'm a selling principal. So it's, um, you know, I love selling. Um, I, I, I won't sell forever, but I'm also really passionate about growth. And it's interesting. So our business is we've got 13 elite performers this year, which is a record for, I think, uh, close to a record, maybe on par with the highest amount of elite performers in Ray White Group uh, for a business. And um, that's something we're really proud of, like developing people. So I think what happens with salespeople is they think that they want to be business owners, but the general mentality of a salesperson can be sort of quite about the salesperson, not about everyone else. Mm. And what you'll find is a lot of these salespeople will go in and be, you know, generally they, they fend for themselves when they're a salesperson and then they go, oh, I'm a business owner now. And then everyone's like, well, why would I work for you? Because all you did was care about yourself. Like, 
So, and there's his filter on it. And I don't know, like, I think if I had my way again, like, I, I don't regret any decision that I've made, but when I was doing, when I bought it from Hazley back in uh, 2012, um, I went through this huge phase of anxiety. Um, I, I went into a bit of depression based upon what the, what the fuck have I done? Like, mate, I went from making shitloads of money to my sales then became propping up the business because people weren't performing, the market was a bit challenging. And it's like the responsibility of me and my vendors turned into me, my vendors, my whole team. And I take it very seriously that every decision I make, every conversation I have can directly impact people's livelihoods, right? So I, I, I really struggled for, for a long time. Like, and I started missing meetings. I started letting people down. I started, um, you know, if I was selling something, like people would say, oh, geez, he's a principal, he's taking all of our leads and people would leave. Then you know you, you just—it's it, actually quite hard, like mm. particularly when you're doing it by yourself. And the reality came like I've got some mentors in this in the industry, and you know Dane Atherton, who's from Harcourt's Coastal, is like he's a he's a weapon, like such a good outstanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he he's appeared on the podcast too, probably about ten episodes ago. Outstanding. And and he gave me some really great advice. And I've got a business coach, and she gave me some really great advice as well. And it was, I was faced with the reality of three decisions, right? Either um, either keep selling, bring in a business partner or a manager, right? That's number one. Mm-hmm. Because I was letting people down left, right and centre. And you know the feeling of letting people down and anxiety around, I'm not actually doing what I said I'd do. Like, and it, it's there's only one you. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, I had 50 staff by myself. I was the... BDM for property management. I was assistant property manager. I was selling real estate. I was the principal of a group. I was doing one-on-ones. I was doing business, running the business internally. No support except for my value team, which I had. But you know when someone leaves, like your friend leaves or something like that from your business and they say, mate, it's just not working. I don't know what's mm. happening. Mm. And you go, like, it's, it's hard. Like, and I think people underestimate how difficult it can be at that point of time. And I got the advice was either sell, keep selling, get a manager and or a business partner. Two um, is uh, stop selling and become a manager myself. And three was sell the entire business. <laughs> and they, for a year, I was like, fuck this, I'm out. Like, I, I literally, I, I don't know why I'm doing this. Literally, do not know why I'm doing this. And I, I hated it. Like, hated it. So and assume you went with option one. Yes, sort of, through default. And mm-hmm. I bought it, I bought the business from Hazley in 2012. Mm-hmm. We then I built it up to 100, 120 staff. Mm-hmm. And it got to a point where we outgrew what, what I outgrew what I could do for the team. And it got to a point where I rang Hazley and we had this altercation external of like so he was still selling, he was still having his rent roll and I had the sales business. And it got to a point where I rang him and I said, okay, we got two options here, mate. And I've known Hazley for 40 years, little 38 years. And I rang him and I said, Hayes, I'm at this level here. You're still doing these things here. You're still consulting for Ray White. It just makes sense. We should merge our businesses back together. Like his, because I love selling, mate. Like I, I, it's not, 
about the money. In, in, in money's a byproduct of actually the love I have for it. And, um, and so I wasn't ready to let that selling go yet because I felt like if I didn't sell, I felt like I might literally let it go of something I truly love, like my, my children. Mm. And, um, and so it took Hazley and I seven months at the negotiation table. And the negotiation wasn't about money. We've worked it out. We had a gap in money, but the money was insignificant to what the actual real issue was. And it wasn't until the moment that we went into Ray White Corporate. Paisley had himself, his accountant. We had uh, Dan White, Tony Wallen, the CEO at the time. I had my accountant with us. And we're sitting in this room. They're all fucking bitter, bickering over 200 grand or something like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't over the 200 grand. It was actually over... Um, it was actually over... Um, um, our, our thought processes and our being aligned, right? So we're doing our due diligence on, on each other, even though we've got a 38-year 30 relationship. Mm. And this is how important important partnership is, right? So we were still doing our DD because we were going into this thing that we both took so serious, not only our financial future, but everyone's financial future. Mm. And if you don't think like that, don't be a fucking principal. Don't, don't do that because... We take everyone's livelihoods very, very seriously, right? Mm. And so we were bickering in this meeting, or the accounts were, and I said, Hazy, let's go in the next room. Went into the other room. And I remember it so vividly, and I listened to a lot of podcasts, and I was listening to this podcast, and it was about Warren Buffett and Bill Gates never met each other. They went on a three-day um, retreat together. And at the end of that retreat, they said, Warren Buffett said to, to Bill Gates, What's one thing, one word? Sum up this whole three-day retreat in one word. That's all I want from him. And he took 24 hours to come up with their words each. And they both presented their word to each other and it was exactly the same word. And it was focus, right? And so I said to Hazley, told him that story, said, write down this word. What do you want to achieve from this? Like, because if, if we're not aligned, then let's just, let's, not, let's save the 200 grand or the 100 grand each and not do the deal. And interestingly, he wrote a word, happy, and I wrote happiness. Mm. And that was of all the words in the that you could come up with, we came up with the same word and we said, okay, fuck the difference, let's go. <laughs> and at that point of time, I knew that our partnership that we were going into was going to be special, right? So his strengths are my weaknesses and vice versa. So his ability to get the best out of people, like, and he's quite selfish in the fact that every meeting that he goes into, his ultimate goal is to ensure that he gives the best possible value to that person, right? But selfishly, he wants that in return. If he doesn't get that in return, he doesn't want to need it. Like, so, and, and I find that incredibly um, inspiring, you know, because in a world where people aren't mindful, people aren't engaged, He's the most engaged motherfucker you'll ever meet in your life. I'm sorry for swearing, but he, he, his whole perception is purely about improving the quality of life and their life. And that's a really unique um, trait for someone to have. And it's a trait for me as a business partner to go into business knowing I never once question him on what he does and he'll never once question me on what I do. He does all the one-on-ones. I deal with a certain part of the business. He deals with a certain part of the business. And literally, without him, this is just me personally, I would have sold years ago. Mm -hmm. would have sold years ago. 
And as equally as, as positive as that is, if you go into a bad business relationship, they're going to dissolve anyway. So choosing a partner is really crucial. Doing it yourself is really like you can do it. Like I look at Dane or Megan Jack over, over in Rimuera, like huge businesses and doing it. Like obviously they've got some good support networks and, but you know, I don't know for someone that wants to do it, it's a, there's a very appealing thing about only going home on a Saturday afternoon. And if you, if you've um, tick boxes and your clients are really happy, then that's a win. Does that make sense? Like, 100%. Then- yeah, 100%. Yeah. Now, I think, I think what, what, what you're talking about, Matt, is that, you know, you were wearing multiple hats quite unsuccessfully rather than f- focusing on one particular thing and being really good at it. I mean, and, and you mentioned the one thing quite a bit and Gary Kelleher wrote a book called The One Thing and, and without having to read the whole book, the first part says it all, which is if you attempt to chase two rabbits, you'll catch neither. Um, okay. which, which basically means that, yeah, stay in your lane, which you spoke about, and, and right. that works both at agency level and, and at principal level. So, mate, we'll, we'll start to wrap up because, mate, you've been extremely generous with your time and it's been content-packed, mate. So people are just going to get huge takeaway from this. Um, I always ask four questions at the end of the podcast. Um, one, number one is, do, do you have a daily ritual or an evening ritual or something you do regularly? Yeah, I have to train. Like, I, I'm, I'm big on training, like, as in personal training. So, I'll, I've got a trainer, Lockie, who's amazing. Um, so, if I don't train, I feel like I, I just not, I'm not sharp. So, I'll, I'm up every morning at, at, at 10 to 5. Uh, I'll be at the gym. I'll get in and do a session. I'm training for a marathon at the moment. It's really good. So, that's my number one thing. Uh, and then... My wife does training, like so she'll do either Pilates or Debris or whatever she does. And then I spent I do all the kids' breakfasts in the morning, which I really love doing. Um, so so training and then spending time with my kids and wife is is crucial to set up my day to be perfect. Beautiful. Um, you might have just answered this by the way, but number two is what's the best business decision you make and it sounds like you just explained that in detail in terms of the par- partnership with Hazley. Oh, definitely. And look, we um we've got other partners in other businesses. So so with Belimba, but when 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 ambition reaches someone, right? The biggest um uh, the the biggest um positive we can get as 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 leaders, Hazel and I, is that agents will want to do a business with us, right? So two of our top agents were were poached by other groups and were going off to do a, a business, and they came and said to us look, this is what we're doing. We're like, well, if that's what you want to do, that's absolutely fantastic and, you know, all the best. And then they said, well, no, we don't want to do it without you. So we've gone and started businesses. We've started, we've bought, got the Ray White Belimba franchise and in our first year of trade, we bought a commercial building and last month they traded $55 million for the month. Um, you know, so nice. that's, that's, that's a really proud moment for us that we do that. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so... We want to grow people and grow with people, mm. um, not just like, nah, well, piss off if you're going to open up down the road. This is ours. Go away. We've got to put a restriction on trade. Like, mate, we embrace it and we should take it as a compliment that if they go and succeed, that's great. The market's huge. Like, good luck. Yeah. Um, great you know. attitude. Great attitude. One of abundance, which, which you know, we, we both share, but unfortunately, there's still some scarcity thinkers out there. Um, the next one is a bad decision or potentially the worst decision in, in business, you know, what, what comes to mind? 
oh, look, everything happens for a reason. Like, I don't know. Like, I think any bad, oh, yeah, I know one. Um, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> um, I started a rent roll when um, thinking, oh, rent rolls, you know, oh, yeah, they're, you're going to make millions of dollars out of this rent roll. And so I tried to revolutionise the the how property management was done, and um, this is when before I got back into business with Hazley, and I, I dusted two hundred grand building that business and revolutionising it. And uh, look, interestingly, best going back to the best decision is we've grown. Like I, I bought back in or into the rent roll when we we're at five hundred fifty rentals. We're now at twelve fifty. And I don't run any of the day to day, and Hazley's just run it. He's a he's a magician at doing that, and it's um so that that bad decision has turned into a fabulous decision. Yes, you know? yeah, that makes sense. So one door closes, another opens, and you know it's um it was a good valuable lesson. I learned two hundred grand is like something like it. That's a it's that a cheap it's cheap in hindsight, right? Yeah. Oh well, yeah, it's still two hundred grand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's amazing how quick we are to label things, though, at the time. It was a yeah. bad decision. But, yeah, like as time goes on, you know, you're right. It evolves into something else. Um, lastly, mate, I always get the guests to ask me any question they want. Mate, okay, yeah. So so you're a bit of a gun. I've been following you for, for a long time. It's um, So how are you – okay, so – I think I know the answer to this, but why are you being so generous with your sharing of learnings throughout your, like, you don't have to do this stuff. Like, you know, you're a bit of a, and like you, you don't look like a veteran, but you are a bit of a veteran of the industry. Um, you 32 know, years. Yeah. yeah. So why, why, why now are you paying forward like this? Um, good question. Look, I think there's, there's two, there's two legacies I'd like to leave Maddie in this industry. Um, one is to, to generally, genuinely and generally improve the level of, of practitioner um, in, within the industry because, you know, similar to what we were talking about, haven't always been tar- tarnished with the, with, the, with the most positive of, um, of, of lights, you know, within perception from other industries or within our consumer markets. So I think that's something in my lifetime that, that you and I can, can definitely make an impact. Um, and, and secondly, to, to increase the, uh, the issues around mental health within our industry, you know, and I've said that on a number of occasions, because doing a lot of coaching, um, a lot of these sessions turn into counselling sessions. I'm not talking about podcasts, but one-on-ones, you know, and you've been involved on one-on-ones, so you, you'd know exactly what I'm talking about. So it's, it's, it's a bigger issue than what a lot of people talk about. And being a male-dominated industry, which I think is still erroneous, and I still think women are innately better at real estate than men. But So that'll, that'll change. Um, so those two things in particular is what drives me. I don't, have, I don't have children as yet. I'd like to one day. I'm turning 50 this year, so that may or may not happen. But, but those two legacies are, are critical for me. And I've done very, very well out of this industry, um, both professionally, financially, personally, and uh, it really is my purpose. It's what drives me, to be honest, Matty. It, it, I love developing agents like you do. Um, I love implementing dialogue strategies, initiatives, efficiencies um, into someone's business, and then they call me the next day and say, I've got the listing or I put the deal together. So I, I, just, I just absolutely love it. 
probably not dissimilar to 15, 20 years ago when that same um, electricity was running through my body when I put a deal together. So it's, 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 it's just another layer, I suppose. So no, I appreciate, I appreciate the question. No, it's good. That's, that's exactly how I feel, mate. And it's, um, you know, uh, I'd take my hat off to you for doing it because there's a lot of effort that goes into like what number of podcasts was I? Like 85? 85, yeah. And I'm insulted number 85. <laughs> that's, that's what John McGrath said when he was 75. I think he got, he said, bloody hell, Bowie, it's taken you buddy 75 years. Uh, I know it's a double-edged sword, mate. I'll, I'll get around to it. Actually, I think Hagsley's on the list, in fact, so I'm honoured given that you've just said to me that he's quite selfish with, uh, with, uh, and selfless, um, sim- symbolically. Selfish. So, selfish uh, expectations, selfless with everything else. Yeah, there you go. Well, he's on the list. So I'll get the yan of the yin of this relationship, you know, so that'll yeah. be an interesting compliment. Mate, I can't thank you enough. Uh, Maggie. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's that much, um, you know, uh, content and so many gold nuggets that you've shared that honestly, listeners need to, to just listen to this 10 times over, take copious notes and just start implementing and just have faith in the process because, um, yeah, you've just heard a master um, of his craft share with you some incredible secrets um, and, and hacks and tips to help grow your, your business. So, mate, I really appreciate it. Um, mate, hopefully we can catch up in person soon. And, uh, mate, that's been fantastic. Once again, mate, you've been really generous with your time. All right, mate. Thank you, Adrian. Take it easy, mate. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks, listeners. Um, Hit up adrianbow.com in order to check out um, all your coaching modules and online training. And if you want to catch Matt, he's on socials. You can't miss him. Hit him up, Matt Lancashire. And, uh, guys, we'll see you next time. All the best. Thanks again, Matty. Thanks, mate. See you, mate.